Today we will begin a new book. We're going to be in the book of Jude. And so if you have a Bible, let's open up to the book of Jude. And in case you didn't know, the book of Jude is the second to last book in the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. And what I thought would be cool, and I hope you're all right with it, is if we could stand up and we're going to read the whole book. Believe it or not, this is the last book uh, in the New Testament that I have to teach in order to have taught through the whole New Testament. And so I'm kind of excited about it. But it's a, it's a great book. And what I'll do is I'll read with you, touch on a couple of things. And then today what we're going to do is we're just going to cover one verse. And so the epistle of Jude. Uh, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Here's the reason. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who were long ago marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you that though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth and as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed with the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. These speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, 
flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Here's a contrast. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your own most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. I love that verse. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Good job, man. You guys are awesome. You stood up the whole time, so now you get your exercise points for today, okay? You may be seated. I don't know if you notice, but there is so much in this little book. You know, it's a small book, but it's powerful. And it, it kind of got me thinking that sometimes things are small, but powerful. And my prayer is that God will use this book in our life. You know, we're going to, as we go through the book, I was thinking, okay, Lord, if we wanted to, we could finish the book today. But um, the Lord, I think he's kind of telling me, I want you to slow it down. I want you to, to dive in and to kind of get everything you can out of the book because it's small. And at the same time, it's a little hard to understand if you just kind of skim the surface. But did you guys know, we know huh, a lot of times there are those things that are small, but they're powerful, huh? Like an ant, for example. Ants are very small, but they're powerful. I think we have a picture of one. And, you know, in comparison to their body mass, they say that the average ant can lift up to 50 times its weight. So think about that. Some of you guys here, you've been working out and you're thinking, eventually I'm going to reach the 200 muscle mass. And if you did, that would mean if you had the equivalent strength of an ant, it would mean that you could carry 10,000 pounds. That would be three cars, three cars carrying it, not just lifting it, you know, carrying it all the way to the colony. And so sometimes things are small, but they're powerful. I was also thinking of a wolverine, um, not the superhero, but the, the real animal, the wolverine. It's only the size of a modern dog, weighing probably about 35 pounds, but able to take on almost any other animal. I mean, taking down bears and deers and even water buffalo. You know, so small but powerful. I mean, we think, of course, of uh, atoms, electrons. Israel is a small nation and yet so powerful. The iPhone, I don't know if you guys realize this or not. Now, these iPhones, look at, they're so small. But uh, according to technology, your smartphone is millions of times more powerful than NASA's combined computing system that, that led us to the, to the moon. Think about that. In those days, those computers were the size of cars. They cost $3.5 million. 
But now these little phones are millions of times more powerful than them. All that to say that sometimes things are small, but don't underestimate it. This book right here, it just so happens that God in his sovereignty knew we would need this book in the days that we're living in. And here we are in Calvary Chapel, Almani. Our desire is to teach the whole Bible. I thought I had, you know, still had a couple of books left, but as I was looking, I'm like, whoa, the only one left in the New Testament is Jude. And so it is very appropriate for us to study. You know, it's true what they say, dynamite comes in small packages. I was thinking of all these things that are small and powerful, including my wife. And I thought, <laughs> Lord, use this book in our life. The book of Jude is that. One commentator calls the book of Jude the blow of a hammer. And the great Scottish theologian, James Moffat, called Jude a fiery cross to rouse the church. And I believe that we need that, you guys. We need to wake up. Some of you might remember that song by Keith Green. He said, the world is sleeping in the dark and the church just can't fight because they're asleep in the light. We need to wake up. What's going on around us? You guys look around and you see what's happening in this world that we live in. We need to wake up as a church, rise up. We need to grow up. And, and I need, myself, I need the loving blow of God's hammer on my heart. You know, we need to be aroused big time because we are living at the end time. This is where we are. You know, we're going to see as we study this book called Jude that Christians need to do what's right and fight. You know, don't back down anymore. We have to fight. Here in verse 3, it's interesting. He's saying, you know, I, I just wanted to give you a nice little lovely, nice message. You know, something common to our salvation but as I was writing the letter, it was like the Holy Spirit said, no, tell the church to fight. Tell the church that it's the end, and so we need to contend earnestly for the faith. You know, we today, uh, we are living in days where there is an epidemic of evil all around us. There is a tidal wave of wickedness. So many lies in the land and the crazy thing is when those lies land in the church. And that's what Jude is talking about. These guys that had crept in to the sanctuary, false teachers, greedy for gain, denying the Lord, sinful in their sex. You know, sex is good when it's within the confines of marriage. It's a blessing. But outside of that, it's not. And we're going to see when we get into verse 7 in the book of Jude that he deals with the sin of homosexuality in the church. And so it's very, very relevant to today. It's a short book, but it, it packs a punch. It's only 25 verses. Again, like I said, if we wanted to, we could probably finish it in one sitting but I just thought it would be really good to just dive into the book. And this is one of the things that you'll find is that, and I tell you guys this all the time, the Bible is so deep that theologians will never touch the bottom. You know, and we're going to dive in and we're going to dig deep and you're going to see we still didn't get everything. And so in the next four weeks or five weeks, however long it takes us to finish this book, I would pray that you get on your knees and you open up this book and you just read it. And you read it and you read it over and over and over again. And ask God to speak to you. And if you do, I believe that you're going to get a taste 
of what you can do when you really seek the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so today, even though we read the whole book and that wasn't in vain, uh, we're only going to cover one verse uh, in verse 1. And so it's kind of easy to outline. Uh, verse 1, we have first of all the writer of the letter. That Who is this guy? His name is Jude and he's a brother and he's a bondservant. And we're going to study a little bit about that. And then secondly, we'll look at the recipients of the letter, and they're the called, the sanctified, and those who are preserved. And so it's pretty simple to see, uh, uh, but it's kind of cool to be able to dive in a little bit. Look again at verse 1. He identifies himself as Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now Jude, his name in Hebrew is Judah. In, in Greek, it's Judas. In the English, it's Jude. And it's not because it's a different word in the original language. It's just that nowadays in, in the English uh, mentality, we don't name our boys Judas, right? That has a bad connotation. We here have it translated as Jude, but it's the same Greek word, uh, Judah, Judas, this is Jude, this is who wrote this book. And in looking at this, we see that the same Greek word is used in all occasions. His name means he shall be praised. According to tradition, Jude, the writer of this little letter, was the half-brother of Jesus. You know, whenever you get a letter, of course you want to know, well, who wrote it? Who wrote this little letter? Who wrote this book? book that packs such a punch and we're going to find that it's the brother of the lord jesus christ you know they had the same mother but obviously different fathers jesus was the son of god he was god the son and so it's important for us to know because a lot of people they, they don't realize jesus had other brothers and sisters uh, in matthew 13 in verse 55 when they identified jesus they ask the question, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And so when they identified Jesus, they identified him as the carpenter's son. And they said, well, we know his brothers. Now, here's something interesting, because whenever you're trying to establish things about the Bible, you look for external evidence and internal evidence. The external evidence is according to tradition, Jude is the brother of Jesus. But the internal evidence is this, that when you read the Bible, uh, you never ever, you, this, you always see that James and, and Judas, this is the only time that, that, that we find them together as brothers. The only time in the Bible is, is when it's in, the, in the, the vicinity of Jesus. James and Judas, brothers, James and Judas brothers, James and Judas brothers, yeah, they're the brothers of Jesus. And right here, Jude, the writer of the little letter, he calls himself the brother of James. Now, it's interesting when you look at that. And so in Matthew, we see that James and Jude are brothers to Jesus. And here in Jude, he calls himself the brother of James. Now, that's interesting. Think about that just for a second. Because he identifies himself simply as the brother of James. So that implies that he's referring to someone who was well known in the church, right? 
I mean, if you're just going to call yourself the brother of James, well, who is this guy? Everybody's got to know who he is, right? And of course, we know that James, the brother of Jesus, was well known. We read about him as the leader of the church over and over and over again in Jerusalem. In Acts 12, 17, in Acts 15, 13, in Acts 21, 18, in Galatians 1, verse 19, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, this guy James, the brother of Jesus, was well known. Jude identifies himself as the brother of James, somebody who was well known, and therefore we just put two and two together and we realize that he's the brother of Jesus. It all begins to come together. Matthew puts James and Jude together, and Mark does as well. Mark identifies Jesus not only as the carpenter's son, but as a carpenter himself. And that's when we begin to learn about the Lord. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. And so Matthew calls Jesus the carpenter's son. Mark calls him the carpenter. And Matthew identifies his brothers while Mark identifies his brothers and his sisters. And so we read it in Matthew, Mark. We also read it in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And it talks about Jesus' brothers who at that time didn't believe in him. But what you find is according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus appeared to James. And so James got saved. And then when he got saved, no doubt, he went and he evangelized his siblings. Any of you here have brothers or sisters that aren't saved? That, that's what we see. That's the story we see right here. Jesus appears to his brother and, and then, you know, he gets saved. And then James appears to his brother or whatever, not appears, but he goes over and he shares the gospel with, uh, with Jude and then he gets saved. And they don't just get saved, man. They just rise up and they serve the Lord. You know, we have the same Greek word, brothers, in every, every incident. Uh, it's the Greek word uh, adelphos, adelphos. You guys want to learn some Greek today? Adelphos. And so uh, you guys remember the word Philadelphia, the city Philadelphia? What does it mean? Brotherly love. Phileo is love. Uh, Delphos is, is brother. And so these are brothers. James is Jesus' brother, the one that was well-known. Jude is James' brother, and therefore he's Jesus' brother. He, these are the brothers of, of Christ, man. And there's a lot there to that. We see again Jesus' brothers mentioned in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. These all continue with one accord in prayer, supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so, an interesting thing, you know, um, uh, probably in the early days, they didn't like Jesus because he never got in trouble. I mean, they thought, maybe they thought his parents were being favorite, showing favoritism, or you know how it is, have you ever been around someone and it just seems like they're perfect, they never do anything wrong, and sometimes it bugs you. <laughs> For whatever reason, they didn't like Jesus. He was different, he was just so different than them. Um, they were filled with sin and flesh and he was God and they didn't like him, right? But eventually they got saved. 
But when you're reading a book, when you're reading the book, anytime you're reading a book, anytime you're reading a letter, you have to know who wrote it. And Jude, he was the brother of Jesus. And so we're going to see this. It's pretty cool as we go through the, the letter. And, and so maybe you're out there and you're asking, then why doesn't he simply identify himself as the brother of Jesus? Why didn't he just say that? You know, uh, because if you wrote the letter, you'd be bragging about it, right? Manny, the brother of Jesus. <laughs> so you better listen to me, right? <laughs> No, but he doesn't do that. And one commentator put it this way. This is probably why. It would surely be explanation enough to say that he shrank from taking so great a title of honor to himself. Even if it was true that he was the brother of Jesus, he might well prefer in humility to call himself his servant. For Jesus was not only his brother, but his Lord. See, when you really come to, to know who Jesus is, it changes everything. It really does. Remember, he's not just his half-brother. Jesus was not just human. He was also divine. You know, prior to Jesus being born that Christmas night, he had he'd existed for eternity past. And they realized who he was. At first, they didn't believe, but Jesus appeared to him. And one by one, they started getting saved. And so now they knew it wasn't just our brother. He's our maker they didn't refer to themselves as the brothers of Christ. Instead, they humbly and wisely called themselves the bondservants of Christ. And we see it uh, here in, in, in Jude. We see it over in James chapter 1, verse 1. That, that word bondservant right there is a huge word. You know, it says Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. You guys want to learn another Greek word? Can you, do, can you do this? Here's another Greek word. It's doulos. Can you say that? Doulos. We're going to learn some Greek words today. And, you know, I was talking to someone earlier, and they were trying to, they were asking me a question, like, how can you translate this Greek word into English? Because you have different words for love, right? You have agape and eros and phileo and storge. And, uh, and he, so how do you translate the, the word phileo into English? And I just said, you can't. You can't really translate that word into English. Um, how many of you here love pizza? Just out of curiosity. You know, but do you love God? How do you love God? Now, you love pizza and you love God. How can that be the same? You know, um, agape love uh, it has a certain meaning. Phileo love is kind of an in-between liking and loving someone. It's in-between, but it's still love. And so the, the way that you really get to know what it means. The way that you really get to know what it means is you learn Greek. You have to learn Greek. And so we're learning, and not everybody gets to learn Greek, and we try our best to communicate things. But the, the Greek word, so important to learn. You know, you have four different Greek words that are translated serve or service in the New Testament. One is diakoneo, and that Greek word, it focuses more on your relationship to your work. And so that's a deacon or diakoneo, more of the relationship to the work. Then you have another two Greek words that are related to each other, latreo and liturgio. And those two Greek words, they focus on the work of the priests or the Levites in the temple. There's kind of a formal, more official service. And so, as a matter of fact, it's interesting, when you look at that Greek word, liturgio, 
What English word do we get from that? Liturgy. And so the first Greek word, diakoneo, is my relationship to the work. The second two Greek words are more like I'm a, I'm a priest, it's an official, it's a formal type of service. But the last Greek word that's translated servant or bondservant, doulos, is completely different. And that word right there is not related to one's position as a priest, and it's not necessarily in reference to his work per se. No, this Greek word emphasizes the relationship of a slave to his master. That's what, that's what Jude, he identifies himself as a slave, as a bondservant. And you know, Peter does too, and Paul does too, and James does as well. And all these guys and gals that were really used by the Lord, they came to that place of understanding who they really were. You know, in one sense, I think it is important to understand that we are his brothers, we are his sisters, we are his friends, we are his children. I mean, it's good to know all that. We are his sheep, right? But what is so important to know and never forget that we are at the same time his slaves, his bondservants. And when you can come to that place, it changes everything, you see? You know, Jew, James, Paul, Peter, all the other guys and gals that were used by God, they said, yes, I'm his brother in one sense, but infinitely and more importantly that, than that, I'm his, I'm his bondservant. I mean, you think about it, Paul and the other apostles, they could have called Jesus their mentor. He's my mentor. No, they said he's my master, and we should too. The Greek word, according to Thayer's lexicon, is defined as a slave who gives himself up to another's will, as those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men, devoted to another to the point of the disregarding of one's own interest. So you're, the, you're going to sit there. You're going to sit there in that seat, and you're going to say, I'm more interested in my will then I am God's will? Is that how you live your life? I mean, you better not. Because one day you will, we will stand before God and you'll give an account. Who made you? God made you. God loves you. God died for you. Whatever you do, don't buy the lie that the world is trying to feed you through all their multimedia that you are entitled to do your own thing. And to do what you want and to be who you want to be, that's a lie. Because you're going to find you're most satisfied when you come to this place of understanding that, that he's your, your master, that he's your, your leader, that, that he is your God. Is that too hard to accept? Is it okay to ask the church to let God be their God? Or are you going to be your own God? See, this whole concept is important for us. The, the word bondservant is rooted in the Old Testament with rich imagery. And so I thought it would be good to go back and take a look at where this word came from. Because nowadays, we don't really use the word bondservant, huh? We usually word, use the word even servant. But let me tell you something. There's a special bond when you know you're a bondservant. There really is. 
Nowadays, slavery among men is outlawed, and rightly so, but, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Slavery uh, among the men and women of God still belongs. Are you there? Have you come to that place of surrendering your rights to him? Have you come to that place of surrendering your will to his? Have I come to that place where it's not about my interests? It's about God's interests. You know, I, I know the Bible. I, I do. And as Christians, I believe I'm his brother. I'm in Jesus' brother. It's biblical. But it's also very important to believe and make sure that we never, uh, ever forget the way that we're also bondservants. And so we have some really cool pictures in the book of Exodus. If you would turn to Exodus chapter 21. This is where this word bondservant comes from. In Exodus 21, it says, Now these are the judgments, verse 1, which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. Here it is. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judge. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. See, and this is what the background is to that word bondservant in the New Testament. You know, you get a, a, a slave, maybe they owed a debt, and so they're there, they work it off six years, you couldn't keep a Jewish person any longer. Now he's free to go. He can, he can leave. He can go and, and live his own life. And think about it. So are you. So are you. You can go and live your own life if you want to. You are not a robot. You are not a puppet on a string. If you want to, you can go. You can never come back. You're free to choose. And that's the, that's the whole point right here is when it's time to choose. What will you choose? Will you choose to go free? Right here he says, but if you come to that place where you say, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my kids. No, I won't go out and live my own life. I'm going I'm to be a bondservant. I'm going I'm to serve him. And so they would take him to the door. And this was an official decision. The judges were there. And they would pierce his ear. After service today, we're going to pierce people's ears, man. Do you want that? Do you want to make that final formal decision? Because it, it, what it is, you know what this is? It is a matter of love. Do you love God? Or will you live your own life? You know, it's interesting. In Deuteronomy 15, uh, Moses repeats the law, the whole book of Deuteronomy is a repetition of the law close to 40 years later. And so he says the same thing, but he adds one little uh, nuance to it that I think is important to read. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, 
in verse 12, if you would turn there, notice what it says. It says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, and in seventh year you shall let him go free from you, and when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you, because he loves you, and here's the distinction, and your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. You know, and, and what, I'm, what, what the Lord's calling us to is this place of, of serving him, of loving him. Let me tell you something. It's there that you'll prosper. It's there that you'll be satisfied. It's there that you'll be blessed. It's there that you'll find fulfillment. You try to go and live your own life, a lot of times it doesn't take long before you want to take your life. I mean, you go and who knows, maybe you'll get rich, but you'll always have a void within your heart because that, that void inside of your heart can only be filled with a genuine biblical relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't have it, base it on your own terms. But when you do and you just say, it's not a complicated thing. It's just, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love my family. I want them to be blessed. I want to stay with them, Lord. And, and, and I know, Lord, that with you, I prosper. And so, you know, you go and you make that decision to be his bondservant forever. And you get your ear pierced and... Um, and that was the sign. That's the sign. And I tell you what, uh, it's not, nothing's random in the Bible. I told you it's so deep we can never touch the bottom. You're like, well, what is the ear all about? And, you know, again, there's different thoughts, but what are you listening to? What, what do you listen to? What voice is speaking into your heart? You know, what, what are you listening to when you watch television? What are you listening to on the radio? Who are your friends that are giving you counsel? Do you read the Bible? Do you hear the Bible? Do you hear the Word of God? Do you hear things that are true? Because like I started in the very beginning, we're living in the land of lies, and a lot of those lies have landed even in the church. Don't buy it, because those lies will send you to hell. And so we, we pierce our ear. Jesus said, take heed what you hear, and take heed how you hear. When you go to church, you don't just go and just say, hey, I can't wait till this thing is done. You go to church or you read your Bible and you say, God, speak to me because I'm listening and I need you. You know, as we're going through this world and this, this earth that we live in, you know, so many crazy things happen. You know, and we just, man, fallen world, fallen bodies, fallen angels that we're fighting against heartache, tears, so many tears that we cry, so many. We need Jesus. We need Jesus, and that's what this is all about. And I pray that we would come to this place like Jude did, where we not only know we're his brother, but we're his bondservant. That's who wrote the letter, 
And then secondly, back in the book of Jude, we have the recipients of the letter. Jude mentions three things about the recipients. It's to those who are called, sanctified, and preserved. Notice again, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And so called. Uh, this word means invited to a banquet. You know, invited through the proclamation of the gospel. I don't know if you guys remember the song that Angel was singing earlier. A beautiful song about it being invited to a feast. Don't you guys get excited when you get invited to a feast? Hey, so-and-so invited me to their whatever, the, the, and you know there's going to be good food there. But this is forever. This is an invitation from God to go to heaven. You're called. He wrote this letter to the called. Every Christian was at one time called. And as they wrote these letters to the churches, it would be read to the churches. Some of them maybe didn't know the Lord yet, and they were in that process being called, being invited. Even today, a lot of you here are saved. Some of you here are not saved. And, and what you need to do because you're thinking, well, that's getting in the way and this is getting in the way and I don't understand that. Listen, you just need to come to a place where you understand you're a sinner in need of a Savior. We're in big trouble. If we die without Jesus, we'll die with our own sins. He died for your sins. He rose again to prove to you who he was and how much he loves you. Step one. Before you get all the other stuff in the way, step one, give him your heart. Come to Christ. It's amazing how sometimes people, well, I don't understand, you know, the Trinity, or I don't understand, you know, different things. You know, and what I, when I was talking to my son about this the other day, you'll understand what we're teaching when you say yes to the invitation. I'm not talking about going to church because that doesn't save you. I'm talking about, you know, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, not just in your head, but in your heart. See, he's calling, he's, tall, he's, tall, he's writing to, with, to those who are invited. There's the invitation, the call. Then there's the sanctification. Now, if you have a NIV or the New Living Translation, it doesn't say sanctification. It says to those beloved, just because it uses different Greek manuscripts. And you're going to see New King James, NIV, sometimes little variables. That's why. So we here, we stick to the oldest uh, Greek uh, manuscript that is intact, the entire uh, uh, New Testament intact, the Textus Receptus. And this word right here is, is, is sanctified. And what that means is that you're set apart. The, the word in the Greek language, hagiadso, and it means to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. It's consecration, it's dedication, it's purification. Do you understand that that's who you are? You're set apart, you know, to God? I was thinking about um, bringing, you know, my toothbrush as an example. As I was going to show you guys, but I forgot, you know. Even though I brushed my teeth right before I left, I still forgot. That's how bad my brain is, but anyways... Uh, Imagine that I, I, I hold up my toothbrush and I say, this is, you know, Manny's toothbrush. Do I share it with anybody? Do you guys ever share your toothbrush with people? That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> 
you wouldn't take your toothbrush and, you know, wash, you know, the driveway or the pots or pans. I mean, that, it's dedicated, it's sanctified, it's set apart for one person, one purpose. That's you. You are set apart for God. And whenever we go and, you know, we love other people more or we do other things and we put them before God or this or that or the other, we're violating this aspect of it. But when you come to Christ, positionally you're sanctified. Understand that. You know, you're called, you're sanctified. And the last word he mentions right here, you're preserved in Jesus Christ. You're preserved. You know, and so, do you guys ever look at the ingredients of the food that you eat? How many of you are like, no way, I would never do that? You should, because when you look at the ingredients, you can see the preservatives, huh? And uh, now, in the context, you know, I was looking at the hot Cheetos. How many of you here like hot Cheetos? They're bad. They are so bad. But, you know, people are addicted to them. It's crazy. Anyways, here's the thing. You know, you have a preservative, if you're a Christian, inside of you is Christ, right? And he keeps you. He protects you. But this, it's funny the way that it works, and as we go through the book of Jude, this is where we're all going to unfold it, is that you have, to, you have to stay there. You have to stay there. The Greek word tereo is also translated keep. So God keeps you, God protects you. But if you look at verse 21 of this chapter, look at verse 21, it says, keep yourselves. Same Greek word, tereo. And so as long as you continue to follow Jesus Christ, as long as you continue to believe in him, as you abide in the Lord, as you stay under the shadow of his wings, you're preserved, you're protected. But if you say, I'm out of here, then what you're doing is you are not keeping yourself in the love of God. And, and what Jude here, the whole letter was, man, I just wanted to share a, an easy message. You know, I've been listening to Joel Osteen lately and, you know, kind of just do something real nice and everybody's going to like it, you know. And, and then, you know, he just says, no, wait a minute, time out, I can't do that because it's dangerous. It's dangerous in the church. You know, the other day, I was looking at uh, recording some programs on my television. You got, can you guys do that? You can record programs. And so what I finally decided to do was just to look at this one Christian channel and just record all the good shows. Because a lot of times when I turn on the television, there's nothing to watch. We have 377 channels and there's nothing to watch. And so I said, okay, I'll record some good things, Right. And, uh, and so, you know, you got Dr. David Jeremiah, or you might have Billy Graham, or some of the others, and you record those, right? So later you have something to watch that's edifying. But then I saw these other guys on there. Creflo Dollar? He's over, he's on a lot. Who would give money to the, a guy named Creflo Dollar? I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> the, guy, the guy's fleecing the flock. And you got someone like T.D. Jakes who denies the Trinity? You know, you got people on there, um, and like I mentioned, and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes, but Joel Osteen, he doesn't teach the whole Bible. He doesn't talk about sin. He doesn't talk about hell. That's dangerous. And you got others on there. They're in the church, 
You know, you got people today, and we'll talk about this eventually, that think it's okay. You know, your, your little boy's born, but whatever you do, don't foster his masculinity. I mean, let him decide what he wants to be eventually one day in life. And listen, dads need to be dads. You know, they need to wrestle with them. They need to play some football with them. They buy them blue shirts. You know, it's okay to do that. Yeah? And your little girls, you foster the femininity. But, you know, that's the world. And if the world says that, that's one thing. But when that enters into the church, it's completely different. Listen, it doesn't matter what my body says. What matters is what the Bible says. And so he's writing the letter and he's saying this is important, the, 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 the invitation, the sanctification, and the preservation. My job is to do everything I can so that when you die, you go to heaven. And that's why Jude says, I want to protect you. Stay there. Stay there under the shadow of his wings because there's guys coming into the church telling a whole bunch of lies. Stay there and never go away. And so what we find is kind of interesting. The writer is Jude and the recipients were the, was the church back then. But ultimately, who's the writer? God. And you know who the recipients are? You. You are. This letter is for us. This letter is for us. And today as we close, I, I, I want to give an inv invitation. If you're here today and you uh, might not know a lot of things, but you know that you need Jesus, then today I want to extend an invitation to you. He loves you. He died for you. All you have to do is say yes to the invitation. Yes. I believe, yes, I'm willing to let go of the sin and hold on to my Savior. And if you would say yes to Jesus, then you can know for sure that if you were to die today, you go to heaven. Why? Because it's based on what he did on the cross.